State Chris Smith, Eli Mitchell back. Smith, world class speed, and he finds a seam uh -oh. and a stiff arm. He's got the 50 He's yard gone. line in a foot race. He is gone. 95 yard touchdown return for Chris Smith. This is the High Motor Podcast. It's now the official podcast of the Sunbelt Conference. Andrew Doughty, Chase Kitty here talking college football after week two, before week three. And it's something that came to me like literally right before I clicked record. Is there a Sunbelt podcast? Like, does that exist, do you think? I know that certain like athletic departments do their own local news type of podcast, but is there an actual Sunbelt conference, just Sunbelt, not like the underdog dynasty SB Nation thing that does all the G5. Is there a Sunbelt Conference podcast? If not, I'm not kidding when I say that has to be an untapped market. Uh, I would think that there is lots of media covering the Sunbelt. It is one of the P4 conferences this year. So I'm sure there's lots of people that are that are dialed into the beat. I'm looking through this really quickly. I use Overcast for my podcasting. Unless there is one that's not on Overcast, which seems pretty unlikely because they grab like 99% of them, especially all the mainstream ones. There is not a Sunbelt podcast. I think the CAA has a podcast. How does the Sunbelt not have a podcast? Does the CAA one do well? Like what is the, oh, I mean, you, I, you what are they, like 35 subscriptions. Well, right. Like you, you do a lot of FCS stuff and there's obviously a market for FCS. It's, it's a little bit different, more niche and limited, but wouldn't that kind of be the same deal as Sunbelt? We're not talking about major media markets here. I mean, Monroe, Louisiana, could we get like a hundred people from there? Maybe grab a hundred from Conway, South Carolina and put together a podcast and have a thousand people listen to it every week. I think Conway, South Carolina is having a good week. I, th I think we might even get like 150 out of them. I mean, Maybe 200. Maybe 200. So we have quite a bit to discuss here. We're going to do a lot of big 12 stuff. We're going to talk about how we're assessing game results in this weird season. We're going to ask ourselves, did we actually learn anything from the ACC? Did we expect to learn anything from the ACC? Do you think we're even going to learn anything from the ACC this entire season? We're going to do a brief look ahead to week three, but we're going to get deeper into week three. A lot of betting stuff coming from Chase on Thursday's episode, so be sure to subscribe on your podcast player and you'll get the heads up when that one drops right away on Thursday morning. I usually have that posted by 6 a.m. Central. And I want to jump into this by asking you something that we talked about, came up quite a bit on and off on over the summer. At no point during last weekend's games, I think there were 21 games we said, or over those, what, six games or something in week one, at no point did I watch a game or catch part of a game or see a result from a game that I didn't watch and say, maybe this team lost because of the bizarre offseason. Maybe... This result happened because they weren't able to practice. Some guys on the COVID list, whatever. And I'm not at all saying that this offseason and COVID and all that isn't affecting games and programs. I'm only saying that until you texted me on Sunday morning when we were throwing topics back and forth, until you said something like, are there any results from last weekend that I'm refusing to acknowledge as meaningful? Until that moment, not once did I watch 
a game or see a result and think maybe this was impacted by COVID. I mean, you, you couldn't have watched last weekend's game and not have thought about what else is going on with empty stadiums, announcers talking about that, players on COVID list, all that. So I'm not saying like it didn't enter my mind, but in terms of the actual on-field play, I didn't think about it at all. And in hindsight, when you had texted that, it was a really good feeling because clearly I was able to block out as much of the off the field stuff as I could without even noticing that I was doing it. I mean, were you the same way or was that something in the back of your mind? Like as you're watching Louisiana win or Arkansas state win or or Georgia tech win or coastal Carolina just beat the shit out of Kansas. Are you sitting there saying, how was this impacted or did COVID impact this to the bizarre offseason impact this that happened at all to you? Uh, no, I was the same as you, and, and I, I compartmentalize really well, so maybe that's part of it, but when I turn the TV on, I'm watching football, and I'm not really thinking about anything else, and then after that, when I like divert my attention away from the TV, and I start to look at Twitter or whatever's going on on my laptop, then it's kind of impossible to ignore because everybody's talking about it constantly 24-7, and oh, look at this team. They now have eight players out from coronavirus, and last week they played this team, and then this team is now playing that team this weekend, so keep an eye on all that. Like, it's everywhere, but as soon as I flip the TV on, I think I go into football mode, and I'm not really thinking about any of that. Are you discounting anything that happened? I think before when we did the predictions episode, I really like Louisiana going to Ames because, A, I like Louisiana a lot, and not to say I didn't like Iowa State quite a bit, but... I like the fact that they weren't going to have to go into a really tough environment. I mean, that that Jack Trice is one of the most underrated college football stadiums, not only in the Big 12, but in the entire country. And I like the fact that they weren't going to have to go into a hostile environment. And I think they have a better chance. Like, I don't know if that's why they won the game. I'm not going to sit here and say that they won the game because there wasn't whatever they have, 70,000-some-odd fans in the stadium. Do you think that... Any, are you interpreting these results differently? And I know you said you didn't think about it, but at any point are you saying that Louisiana maybe won that game because of that? Arkansas State maybe won that game because Bill Snyder Stadium wasn't that full. Are you doing that at all? I, I it hadn't even occurred to me until you were asking right now. So I do you, like do you know stuff that I don't? Is there is there stuff going on in Ames that I don't know about, or are you just asking a totally hypothetical question? Totally hypothetical question. Like, are you at all discounting? I mean, we do this all the time with like injuries. If if a result happens when the starting quarterback is out, we all say, "Well, I mean, what would have happened?" Yeah, a win is a win. But so it doesn't seem like I'm not doing it at all. Like, I don't. I'm not going to sit here and say like maybe it it did or didn't impact Louisiana. I have no idea if it played a role at all. And I wasn't doing that at all. And I didn't even think about that until you had texted that, and it was a really good feeling to know that. Even though I've said several times, I don't feel like this is a real college football season when you have 53 teams out, when you have 40% of Power 5 teams out, when we don't even know what the postseason is going to look like. I don't think it's a real college football season, but it was still a really good feeling to know that I was able to sit down and watch a lot of football on Saturday and, like you said, just completely block it out. And it wasn't even intentional. It's not like I sat down and said, I'm not going to pay attention to any of that. I didn't even think about it until Sunday morning. It seems like you're on the same page with that. Yeah, I mean, I think even if coronavirus had somehow impacted that Iowa State game, you would think that the number one team in America and the favorite to win the national championship this weekend, uh, this year, which is Iowa State, from what I've heard, that uh, you would think they would still be able to beat a pesky Sunbelt team like uh, Louisiana. <laughs> 
What is with the Iowa State hype? I don't get it. I didn't get it in the summer. I don't get it now. Are they a legit playoff team? That caliber? Are they on that level? Get it or out. Get it does out. This, get, get all of it out. Or does get this upset out. make sense? Get what, it out. Can we pick a fucking lane? <laughs> what is going on? Are you still wearing all of your clothes right now, sir? No. I was ripping my shirt off as I started yelling into the mic. Like, they are at best the fourth best team in this conference. At best. You were fired up. We were texting. I think it was Saturday morning or maybe on Friday night. I'm not sure. When Bear and Stanford Steve, whom you watch quite a bit more than I do and listen to and read more than I do, you were pretty fired up when they were sitting there saying that Iowa State's a dark horse playoff contender but they will struggle with Louisiana at home. Not, not even not not dark horse playoff contender. Bear picked them to go to the playoff. No, he said they're going to win the Big Twelve and be in the playoff. And then he turned around and he picked Louisiana to win this game. <laughs> what the fuck? You don't lose to Louisiana and then go to the playoff. <laughs> what the fuck? I thought you meant that they. Because I, I kind of disagree with you when we were texting about it. Like, I, I said, well, yeah, I mean, I could see it. Maybe I'm just higher on Louisiana, or maybe I understand that Iowa State struggles early in the season. I mean, this is the third time in four years that they've either lost to a team or really struggled with the team, Northern Iowa. They lost Northern Iowa a few years ago, triple overtime last year. Looked like shit against Iowa, I think, in 17 or 18. So, like, all that combined, I understood the logic of saying, like, yeah, Iowa State can be really good, but they could also struggle with Louisiana for a variety of factors. I didn't know that Bear flat out picked Iowa State to go to the playoffs. Yes. But to do so as a nine and one or I guess a ten and one Big Twelve champion with the only loss being to Louisiana. I didn't know that happened. It just look and, and, and look, I I like Louisiana. Like we both were high on them. So we both like them. It's not a it's not this is not a shot at them. Like they they're well coached, they're good, they're 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 scrappy. They're I like their Okay, so I like everything about them. It's not about them at all. This is all about Iowa State. Like I we would stop making excuses for this program. I, I mean, I don't want to be so negative cuz I I'm, I'm talking expectations versus reality is what this conversation is about. They're still a good program. It's still really cool what they've done the last few years. But if you had like a top flight program that lost this many games or went to triple overtime with Northern Iowa, like that did these things, we would stop making excuses for them. And this is Iowa State. They don't have the best facilities. They don't have the best recruits. So it's just weird to me that we keep coming out of the woodwork collectively and saying, like, uh, Iowa State, don't sleep on them. Okay, they can win some games. But, like, can we get them in the right lane? Because it seems like we've elevated them to this place, and it's almost not even fair to them. Like, stop giving them all these expectations that they shouldn't have. They're a top-half Big 12 team. That's where they live. That's a good place to be. That's okay. If you're Iowa State five years ago, they would take that. So I just want to get their lane right because it feels like we don't know how to talk about them right now. Do you feel better? Yep. We have done dozens, maybe literally hundreds of podcasts together over the years. I don't know if you've been that fired up ever. <laughs> Probably not on the mic. I know this This was maybe a long time coming. I, I've definitely been in my house yelling at stupider things for longer. 
but yeah, on, on the podcast, I, I don't know. It's just, I, it, you know what? I, I was frustrated about the the bear thing a couple days ago, so maybe that's where this really hit like critical mass. Where I was just like, "What the fuck are we doing here? What what is going on?" Let's move on, but stay in the Big Twelve. We talked about I can't remember when it was a week or two ago. What is the nightmare scenario for the Big Twelve? And we laid out a scenario, even with two Power Five conferences out, even with a depending on what you really think about G five having a shot, even with like a Boise State out if everything went perfectly, even with all of that, the Big Twelve could get left out of the playoff. And that was before all of this happened. And the question here is, did this weekend change anything for you? I mean, did it maybe maybe this is the, the better leading question to ask. Did it show you, with Iowa State losing and Kansas State losing, teams that we were both generally high on, I was higher on Iowa State than you were, but you still said that they're a top-half Big 12 team. If you want to put them in the fourth spot, like you said, that's fine. I probably think they're the third-best team in the Big 12. Not anymore. We'll see what happens. But anyways, did it show, with this loss from Kansas State and with this loss from Iowa State, that these teams aren't as good and might be not give, or excuse me, and because they're not as good, they might give an Oklahoma or an Oklahoma State a more clear path to the playoff. Did we learn anything about the Big 12's playoff path from those two games, or should we not be overstating what those games mean? Yeah, I think the headline from this weekend is the Sun Belt goes 3-0 and against the Big 12. And, you know, that's not a mirage. That happened. Coastal Carolina won. Louisiana won. Arkansas State won. So, so, Good for those programs. Those are big Power 5 wins for those guys that they might not get for another few years. So uh, hats off to the Sun Belt. We are a Sun Belt sponsored podcast this weekend. Uh, that being said, I don't think the actual playoff chances of the top teams in the Big 12, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and I know some people want to say Texas. I don't think on this podcast we're going to say Texas. I think we're focused on the Oklahoma schools here. Does that really change your mind about what those teams are? And, and I don't think it does, but I do think we're already going to start to see the narrative shift on the Big 12 of, well, you know, they're clearly of these three Power Five pro, uh, pro, Power Five conferences that are in right now that are playing this season. The Big 12 is clearly in that third spot. Uh, maybe you want to move the Sun Belt up to the third spot. I'm not sure. But the Big 12 is going to have to deal with a lot of punchlines this week. And going into next week, and they earned those punchlines. So until Oklahoma or Oklahoma State or somebody shows up and says, actually, no, there is a playoff caliber team in this conference, they're kind of behind the eight ball, and that's a tough place to start in the context of that nightmare conversation we had a few weeks ago where we were saying, well, what if you know everything falls the wrong way from the Big 12's perspective and it's Clemson, Notre Dame, Alabama, and Georgia? or Alabama and Florida, or whoever. It is, those are the four playoff teams. And now the Big 12 has this massive weight tied around their neck for years into the future because th- we cleared half the deck and then the Big 12 still somehow found a way to not make the playoff. Uh, that, that would be a big problem for me, them, and this is not exactly the start you would want to have, even though if you look at the actual teams that would be competing for those spots, it doesn't really feel like anything substantive has happened with them yet. Yeah, I don't think the two L's matter all that much. I, I was really on board with the idea that Iowa, could, Iowa State could very well make the Big 12 championship game. I thought it would if they did so, it would be like an 8-1 and one type of season, maybe even like a 7-2. and two. 
I did not think they were going to win that Big 12 championship game. So I thought they had a chance of getting there, but at no point was I drinking the Kool-Aid that Bear was drinking and thought that one of these two teams or both these teams were true playoff contenders. It doesn't matter for the actual L's there. It matters because, I mean, Oklahoma goes to Iowa State. When do they go to Iowa State? They go there first week of October, so in a few weeks here. That game changes a little bit for me. And again, the fan factor is is a big one. I mean, Iowa State has played well against Oklahoma at home and on the road. Before that game, before they lost to Louisiana, even though I was high on Louisiana, I would have felt pretty decent about Iowa State's chances at an upset. And I understand that teams can change, and Matt Campbell has done this before. At Iowa State, they've they've started off slow. They've come out and, and laid an egg against Northern Iowa or Iowa or whoever, and then come in later this season and put together some really nice wins, some top 10, top 15 wins. I'm not saying like it won't happen, but my confidence that Iowa State could pull the upset in a game like that has absolutely plummeted. That's not, again, not saying that Oklahoma is guaranteed to win at all, but I couldn't help but watch like Brock Purdy, a guy who I understand when like true freshmen or even redshirt freshmen or transfers are struggling earlier in the season. Brock Purdy should not have struggled like he did against a Louisiana team that's one of the best defenses in the Sun Belt, but also against a Louisiana team whose corners and whose safeties wouldn't start on almost every Big 12 team not named Kansas. So I am high on Louisiana. Again, we're not taking anything away from that, but Brock Purdy should not have looked like he did against a Louisiana team that's good but not great. He should have looked a lot better. He's a veteran. He has hundreds and hundreds of pass attempts. That's what concerns me. I don't even know, even if Oklahoma's defense is trash again, I don't know if it's it's probably better than Louisiana's. My point being is that I am far less confident that that win would happen in Ames in a few weeks. So I think that part of it matters quite a bit. Uh, are you a proud Kansas alum this weekend? Do you have any thoughts on a 0-2 performance over the last two seasons against Coastal Carolina? I don't. Okay. Honestly, I'm pretty numb to it by now. I mean, they have 21 wins. They started out 2009, 5-0, and they lost seven straight to close the season. So since that time, since like October of 2009, they have 21 wins. So over that time, you become pretty numb to it. I was pretty shocked that they got blasted. I wasn't expecting that. I thought if they lost, it would be something like a 31-21 to 21 game, maybe. I was pretty shocked that they put together one of the worst halves of football in Kansas history, and that's saying something. I tweeted that. Like, I, I wish at that moment that I wasn't a Kansas alum so I could properly enjoy and laugh at an ass-kicking from a Coastal Carolina team that, sorry, is not very good. You're not losing to App State. By a billion points. You're losing to Coastal Carolina. You did well in that game. You made some money off of it, didn't you? Uh, I did, yeah. I, uh, I I wish I had done what my friend did, which was bet them not only to win outright, which in hindsight, the value was there. I don't, I don't know why I took the spread. I just should have bet on them to win, period. But he parlayed that with Arkansas State to win, which I thought was pretty ballsy. Oh, no, it was uh, Louisiana to win. Louisiana to beat Iowa State and Coastal Carolina to beat... Kansas uh, at 15 to 1 odds. So good for my friend Eric. See, did he put a decent amount of cash down on that? I believe he put $100. So it would be uh, 1500 coming back this way. Mazel tov, Eric. Nice payday. Anything else in the Big 12 or Sunbelt? You want to move on to the ACC? Just like miss me with the whole like 
How about that Texas offense? Huh? Put up some points. Pretty nice. Yeah. Joel Klatt was impressed, and I liked Joel Klatt quite a bit. I didn't like all of his takes during the COVID situation and will we, won't we play and all that. But as an analyst and as a guy who knows football, huge, huge fan. I was living in Colorado when he was doing local radio out there. He's phenomenal at breaking down a game. I mean, him, him and Herbstreit are line in line with the best analysts in sports, in my opinion. So I don't even disagree with his football shit. But when we do this thing where Oklahoma plays Missouri State, and I get that Spencer Rattler looked good. He looked really, really good for a guy that had thrown, I think, 11 career passes going into the game. But when we do this thing where we say, man, Oklahoma looked really good today. Texas looked really good today. They played fucking UTEP. I have I mean, that, one bullet point about that's Texas. That's a bottom is... five team. I mean, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Sure, Missouri, go. You're an FCS. I mean, we know that UTEP is like a bottom five team in the FBS. Bottom five. Okay. Give that's us context terrible. for Missouri State. They're a bottom half team in the FCS. When you get to bottom half of the FCS, you're borderline top half Division Two team we're talking. Uh, Missouri State is consistently the worst program in the Missouri Valley, which is admittedly a very strong, uh, some would say the best FCS conference. It's, it's usually them or the CAA it is sort of 1A, 1B. Depends on the year. Uh Missouri State's the worst program in that conference. So why do we do this? I don't care that Oklahoma won. I don't care how good they looked. I don't care at all. I'm trying to figure out why Ellinger threw the ball 33 times that game. That's what I'm trying to figure out. What are they doing? Why do you need to throw the ball that many times? I'm shocked that Tom Herman didn't have the best judgment in that game because he's a guy that usually has great judgment on and off the field. Well, that just tells me that it's we're, we're gunning for the Heisman. Is we're, we're tired of Oklahoma quarterbacks winning the Heisman. We want Ellinger to win a Heisman, which, you know, whatever. It, you know, sometimes that's what you have to do. You got to have a splashy September. I don't love that that's how the game is played, but that is how the game is played. Is you, that's, you have to grab the attention early and then hold everybody's gaze through the rest of the season. So, fine. I just thought it was silly. I thought it was more of a playoff statement. Because I think that Texas truly believe. If you want to believe that Texas is a playoff contender, fine. I think it's ridiculous. But I think Texas truly believes that. And I think it was more of a playoff statement. We're going to run up the score on UTEP, yeah. whatever it was, like 59-3 to three or 7 or something like that. I, I, had, I admit it. I was underwhelmed by the final score of Oklahoma-Missouri State. I watched like five snaps in that game, and I saw how it started. I thought when I went back to look at the final score, it would be like 62-7. to seven. I think it was 48 48- seven something like that i was surprised at the final score i don't know if that has any impact in the playoff room i have no idea they're not the playoff committee probably isn't watching that game yeah probably, I, I would I, i'm i'm good to go back to the bcs when we start throwing around utep scores as reasons why you should be in the playoff like i'm ready to end it there if if somebody in the room is going i think we need to make, take a serious look at texas after that after that utep game i mean i want utep to be do you remember, I think it was 2014 with the whole Ohio State-TCU-Baylor debacle and Minnesota was like the only common opponent yeah. between Ohio State and TCU. I think it was 2014. It was 14. It was, yeah, yeah. it was that first year. Like that, that Minnesota team was good. They appeared, I think they were 25 in the playoff rankings once maybe. Like that was a pretty decent team. I want to see how far we can go with that. Like <laughs> how far at, the common opponent thing goes down. Yeah, like like at the what Auburn point, thing from last year. Yeah, like at what point are they sitting in the room saying, well, Texas beat UTEP by 56. Oklahoma only beat UTEP by 45. 
I think if if that's the play this year, it's got to be Central Arkansas, isn't it? Because like half of FBS is going to play Central Arkansas. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe Central Arkansas. Maybe we can see how far we get down. This is like a sixth grade math problem. This is like lowest common denominator football style. I need to get Mr. McEwen on the phone. I did not watch very much ACC football this weekend. I caught a little bit of uh, Syracuse, North Carolina, caught a pretty decent amount of Duke, Notre Dame, and a pretty decent amount of Georgia Tech, Florida State. The rest of them, uh, Austin P. Pittsburgh, that was a bloodbath, Clemson, Wake Forest. I have watched so few Clemson regular season games during this dynasty. Western Kentucky, Louisville, I wish I had watched more of that, but I didn't get to it. I didn't learn a thing about ACC football this year. I didn't go into this week thinking that I would. I thought Notre Dame might win by a little bit more over Duke. I, I mean, I said that I didn't chalk up anything to like an abbreviated offseason. I think if this game happened on a regular, just a regular offseason, regular year, I would have been kind of wondering like what was going on with Notre Dame. They looked ugly. I didn't know how much of it was just this is week one. They're going to get some growing pains out, yada, yada, yada. But I didn't learn a real thing from ACC football this weekend. I don't even know when we're actually going to learn something, even when Notre Dame and Clemson play. I don't know if that's going to tell us that much because I think that Clemson is so head and shoulders above them. I don't expect to learn anything from that game. Yeah, so one of the I think one of my rules is I'm, I'm going to grade you differently when the first real week of football you're playing an actual conference opponent versus last chance you. So I don't look at the Texas UTEP thing the same thing as I would like Duke Notre Dame because I even though you know you're not gonna say Duke is some incredible like premier challenge it's still a conference game so it's just different it's a different mindset it's like an actual challenge like yeah it's a game that matters and it's right. a game that matters right up front so I I look at them a little differently I think the things that the things that I wrote down for ACC teams number one. Uh, Miami kind of in the the vein of Texas and Oklahoma to a lesser extent than those guys. Congrats on beating UAB. Didn't just win. They covered. They blew it open in the second half. Uh, congrats. You're a Miami and you beat UAB. So like you're supposed to do that. So let's let's calm down a little bit. But the King stuff looked nice. It feels like they're going to be decent this year. So I want to see them play. A conference opponent. I want to see them beat somebody that I care about a little bit more. But UAB, we talked them up. They're a good team. I think they struggle when they play up. Uh, but they're a good team. That's a nice one for Miami to open the season. Cool. Uh, North Carolina, I talked a little bit about. I thought they might be a little overrated. I didn't see anything in that Syracuse game that made me change my mind. They started really slow. Uh, you mentioned Notre Dame. Georgia Tech. That's the one I want to talk about. We talked a little bit about Georgia Tech when we did our ACC preview, and I said, I've heard a couple whispers about, there's a couple people I know that think Georgia Tech going to take a big step forward. I get that it's year two coming out of the triple option stuff, but I've I've seen some smart people that I really respect think Georgia Tech is going to be pretty decent this year. Uh, Florida State does not have the, the world's greatest opening game record the last 10 years, pretty much since Jimbo left, but... That's a nice win if you're a Tech fan. I mean, let me let me hop in with that because yeah. I mean, this is something you can speak to too. Being in Virginia, when Virginia Tech beat Florida State the first game of Willie Taggart, the the whole ugly game down in Tallahassee, yeah, didn't just beat them, right? Just putrid game. Yeah, super ugly. Beat game. the shit out of them. When that happened, I was more wondering 
how is Florida State actually good or are they a bad team? I didn't know at the time. When I was watching this Georgia Tech Florida State game, all I could think about, yeah, like kudos to Georgia Tech. I mean, this is kind of the same Louisiana thing. Like you, you won that game. You went into an environment that actually had a pretty decent crowd. I don't know what the fuck they were doing in Tallahassee, but they had a pretty decent crowd there. Like kudos to you. You got a really nice win. I like where you're going on, Jeff Collins. You and I have talked about that quite a bit. We love that hire. We love that program moving forward. I'm more wondering, like, how bad is Florida State? Because they look like a bad team. Like, outside of their defensive line, which is probably top three or top four in the country. They've been good for years now. Yeah, their D-line am, is consistently good. Yeah. I just want to know, how bad is Florida State? Like, are we going to learn at some... We might actually learn this week, and we'll get into week three here in a little bit, and then more on Thursday's episode with UCF going to Georgia Tech. I think we'll learn a lot in that game how bad Florida State is, or maybe they're not that bad. So I'm more, I want to talk about Georgia Tech, but from that result, I'm more just curious. I don't know how much credit to give Georgia Tech because Florida State might still be a really bad team, way worse than I expected going into the year. Uh, It still feels like they haven't figured out the offensive line stuff. Their offensive line has been bad for five straight years. Uh, So it's still, they had 3.1 yards per carry, which, I mean, you got to do better than that if you're Florida State. You just have to. And it feels like they they have to fix that before they fix anything else. And we both like Norvell. We liked the hire. You know they have the athletes down there, so it, that's not the problem. Uh, maybe, you know, they can make some in-season adjustments and they're going to get better and it, it's not fair to grade them after this first game. Maybe they are going to grow. You know, that that's what good coaches do. You get better in the season. You're not the same static product all year. But it's tough to make the case coming out of the gate here that this is some vintage Florida State team that's going to compete with other teams toward the top of the ACC. It feels like there are at least six teams better than them in the conference right now. Staying with Georgia Tech, how good of a program is this? I think I tweeted that I think someone's going to come in and try to poach Jeff Collins at some point. When a premier job opens, I mean, Florida's not going to open anytime soon. But if a Florida were to open with his ties there and how much he's recruited in the Southeast and all that, that type of program I would think would come and poach Jeff um, Jeff Collins. It's hard for me to tell what type of program they are because they're transitioning out of being that that triple option program for so long that they haven't really established their identity as a non triple option team. But is this a program that you think can fend off a program like a Florida or like an LSU or something that would come calling for Jeff Collins if he goes if he wins like eight games this year and then like ten next year. Or is this a program that is two or three rungs down the ladder from a Florida, from an LSU, where they really have no chance to hang on? We're getting so far ahead of ourselves here, but there's no denying what he's done in just, what, now 13 games, completely revamping a roster that didn't even have a fucking tight end last year? Do you think it's that type of program that could hang on to a premier coach like this? The things they have going for them are that it's a good school, Though, though that, that can be a double-edged sword. But it's a good school, and it's in Atlanta, right? So that's that's what you like about that profile for that school. Uh, you know, they're, they're in a winnable space in the ACC. The problem is, first of all, you're in the South, where we know that's, that's where college football matters the most. And you can't drive 100 miles in any direction without finding a better program. So... You just kind of almost, I mean, unless you are going to make such a ridiculous investment in their in their football program where they're going to really put the dollars on the line to make them a real A-line contender 
in that geographic space, and they're just not going to do that. Unless they do that, I, I don't know how you keep anybody that's worth having at, at that point. You have both the Alabama schools right there. You got good stuff going on in Florida. Clemson's up north. I mean, it's just, it's too tough of a space. So I think the answer to your question is no, they're just, they're going to lose anybody they have in there and they just got to keep nailing coaching hires. I thought that was why they probably played the triple option for so long, because that's how you create an advantage for your program when you maybe don't have as many natural advantages as other places in the area. Last note on Jeff Collins. So I'm curious what type of ballpark salary the next tier would be in, and then that top tier of like what I said, you know, the LSUs, the Texas A&Ms, the Florida, Michigan, the Clemson, Alabama, that type of money. Going off of last year's numbers, how many FBS head coaches do you think had a higher salary than Jeff Collins last year, oh, his God. first year? Um, I'll give you his salary to give you a ballpark. He was at $3 million last year. Over the course of his deal, he'll average 3.3. But last year it was three. How many coaches do you think were ahead of him last year? 50 pretty damn close yeah. 48 so he's in the ballpark right now of where joe moorhead was yeah. where barry odom was where neil brown was matt luke pat narduzzi that ballpark but we're going up to i mean even like justin fuente is at four million look at will muschamp 4.4 willie taggart was at five i mean there are schools that are going to open that can double his salary or at least add 50, 60, 70% on it. And probably give him more money for assistance. So. And there's no doubt that if, if he keeps winning, if he wins eight games this year or 10 games next year, even in this financial environment, there's no doubt that Georgia Tech will make, make a financial commitment to him. He's making less money than Paul Johnson, for God's sakes. So there's no doubt that Georgia Tech would up it to whatever they can do, 4, 4.1, 4.2. But we're still talking a million, $2 million, $2.5 million off of what some of these programs could come. And what if Auburn fires Gus Malzahn? That's a better job. That's a better program. You have a better chance of winning a national championship. He has jumped jobs before. I don't know. Let's move on from Jeff Collins. Anything else for the ACC? Uh, I don't think so. I think that's all I got. Looking ahead to week three, and again, we'll get more into this with some odds and some specific matchup stuffs, uh, stuff coming on Thursday's episode. We do have UCF at Georgia Tech. Like I said, I think that'll be a game where we'll learn a lot about UCF and Georgia Tech for sure, especially with UCF having not played yet. But I think we'll also learn a lot how good, how bad, how mediocre Florida State actually is. We have Houston at Baylor, a game that was scheduled like two days ago. App State at Marshall. Miami at Louisville. I mean, we just talked about how we're going to learn anything from the ACC in the coming weeks. That might be a game where we will learn some stuff. A little bit bummed we don't get BYU and Army. I think that could be one of the premier G5 games uh, of the season. We're not going to get that. That was announced a few days ago. Some positive tests in Provo. That won't happen. We also don't get Virginia, Virginia Tech. And we don't get Houston, Memphis. Like I said, Houston at Baylor, a game that was made up uh, because of that. And I can't remember who Baylor canceled against. But that would be Houston at Baylor. Right now, still, what, five days out what are you looking at? What has caught your attention for week three? Uh, honestly, I think it's the it's the reschedules. Because mm-hmm. I don't think there's a lot of games where I'm like, ooh, got to watch that. But we've already rescheduled a certain amount of games, and I'm wondering, are we going to keep this pace? I know this is a terrible answer to your question, but that is kind of what I'm focused on is, Are we going to average roughly the same number of reschedules going forward? Is that going to get worse? Is it going to get better? 
And if it doesn't get better, how much longer can we keep up this pace before the backlog for the season really starts to get weird? I think there was a little bit of a baseball factor in with, I mean, what was the Cardinals and Marlins? I think the Cardinals went like two and a half or three weeks without playing a game. And I mean, that's a little bit different because you can make up games like crazy. You can play 12, 13 games in a week with double header, especially the seven innings. But with that, it felt like we're getting to a point where like, are the Cardinals just not going to play this year? It's going to wave the white flag, different dynamics at play with colleges, on-campus classes, liability, all that shit with amateur athletes. But it does feel like we're getting to a point where I don't know if schools are going to bow out for the national picture or the conference race. I mean, I know the eligibility isn't, isn't a concern here. We were a little bit worried about that coming into the year before the NCAA announced that it doesn't matter how many games you play in. So that's not in play at all. But at some point, our team's just going to say, what are we? I mean, there are some teams that haven't won't play for several weeks because of cancellations. SEC is a little bit different starting later. But there are some teams where they might have a bye week and then a game and then a bye week and that game in the middle gets canceled. Now all of a sudden you're going three or four weeks in between games. I mean, a lot of coaches, they talk about the benefits of a bye week, but they also bitch a lot about bye weeks. What are they going to do when they have three or four weeks in between games? I'm not going to say that they're waving the white flag if all of a sudden there's a three-week period in the middle of the season they can't play, but at what point might teams just say, you know what, like it's it's October now, we've played one game, we only have two scheduled we got a lot of positive tests. At what point are we just going to call it here? I guess Miami Louisville, if you want me to give you one. I mean, I, I, w- I want to see if Miami's for real, like I said. So I think that's a real challenge. They got to go on the road. And if they win that, okay, I'm taking them seriously. I think I think it could be a good fit for King. And maybe they could, I don't think they're going to be in the playoff or anything, but I think they could cause a problem for somebody that wants to be. How much do you care about UCF at Jordan Tech? Because that's that might be at the top of my list. So I think that now that Louisiana has won, I think the race, if we have a traditional bowl uh, system with the playoff in New Year's Six, Louisiana is legitimately in that picture. We talked just a couple of weeks ago how hard it is for a Sunbelt team to actually be in that picture, even with the Mountain West out this year, even with if maybe a MAC team rose up. All those teams in the American have that edge because they're going to have strength of schedule. They have better opponents. But Louisiana is firmly in that picture. They still need some things to go their way. But now you have UCF, if they were to go to Georgia Tech and lay an egg, I think we're going to learn a lot from that game. Any interest there at all? Uh, Definitely, but I I think it's more on the Georgia Tech half of things. I'm curious to see if Georgia Tech can be the second best team in Florida. All right, we'll be back right away on Thursday morning. Like I said, usually post that by 6 a.m. Central, so that episode will be available for download, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere else. We'll get way more into Week 3. Chase will get way more into week three lines. Uh, What else? We kind of talked about last week, what you learned from those few games in week one with line movement. Now you had some other strategy stuff to get into. So shoot him questions on Twitter at Chase A. Kitty or mailbag questions to the show at High Motor Pod. Thanks for checking out the High Motor Podcast. We'll see you back here on Thursday. I saw a friend today. It had been a while. And we forgot each other's name. But it didn't matter cause deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in